The Merry Beggars at Relevant Radio present Episode 13, An Idol of Gold. Scrooge and the ghost again stood side by side in the open air. My time grows short. Quick! This was not addressed to Scrooge, or to anyone whom he could see, but it produced an immediate effect. For again Scrooge saw himself. He was older now, a man in the prime of his life. His face had not the harsh and rigid lines of later years, but it had begun to wear the signs of care and avarice. There was an eager, greedy, restless motion in the eye, which showed the passion that had taken root and where the shadow of the growing tree would fall. He was not alone, but sat by the side of a fair young girl in a mourning dress, in whose eyes there were tears, which sparkled in the light that shone out of the ghost of Christmas past. It matters little. To you, very little. Another idol has displaced me. And if it can cheer and comfort you in the time to come, as I would have tried to do, I have no just cause to grieve. What idol has displaced you? A golden one. This is the even-handed dealing of the world. There is nothing on which it is so hard as poverty, and there is nothing it professes to condemn with such severity as the pursuit of wealth. You fear the world too much. All your other hopes have merged into the hope of being beyond the chance of its sordid reproach. I have seen your nobler aspirations fall off, one by one, until the master passion, gain, engrosses you. Have I not? What then? Even if I have grown so much wiser, what then? I am not changed towards you. Well, am I? Our contract is an old one. It was made when we were both poor and content to be so. Until, in good season, we could improve our worldly fortune by our patient industry. You are changed. When it was made, you were another man. I was a boy. Your own feeling tells you that you are not what you are. I am. That which promised happiness when we were one in heart is fraught with misery now that we are two. How often and how keenly I have thought of this, I will not say. It is enough that I have thought of it and can release you. Have I ever sought release? In words? No, never. In what, then? In a changed nature. In an altered spirit, in another atmosphere of life. Another hope as its great end. In everything that made my love of any worth or value in your sight. If this had never been between us, tell me. Would you seek me out and try to win me now? Ah, no. You think not? I would gladly think otherwise if I could. Heaven knows! When I have learned a truth like this, I know how strong and irresistible it must be. But if you were free today, tomorrow, yesterday, can even I believe that you would choose a dowerless girl? You who, in your very confidence with her, weigh everything by gain. Or choosing her, if for a moment you were false enough to your one guiding principle to do so. Do I not know that your repentance or regret would surely follow? I do. And I release you, with a full heart for the love of him you once were. You may, the memory of what has passed makes me hope you will, have pain in this. A very, very brief time, and you will dismiss the recollection of it, gladly, as an unprofitable dream, from which it happened well that you awoke. 
May you be happy in the life you have chosen. Spirit, show me no more. Conduct me home. Why do you delight to torture me? One shadow more. No more! No more! I don't wish to see it! Show me no more! One shadow more! Look! They were in another scene in place. A room, not very large or handsome, but full of comfort. Near to the winter fire sat a beautiful young girl, so like the last that Scrooge believed it was the same, until he saw Belle, now a comely matron, sitting opposite the young girl, her daughter. The noise in this room was perfectly tumultuous, for there were more children there than Scrooge in his agitated state of mind could count. And, unlike the celebrated herd in the poem, they were not forty children conducting themselves like one, but every child was conducting itself like forty. The consequences were uproarious beyond belief, but no one seemed to care. On the contrary, the mother and daughter laughed heartily and enjoyed it very much. And the latter, soon beginning to mingle in the sports, got pillaged by the young brigands most ruthlessly. Now a knocking at the door was heard, and such a rush immediately ensued that she with laughing face and plundered dress was borne towards it, the centre of a flushed and boisterous group, just in time to greet the father, who came home attended by a man laden with Christmas toys and presents. <laughs> they have come to abscond with your packages, darling. There is no hope. Hello? Whoa, now! Then the shouting and the struggling and the onslaught that was made on the defenceless porter. The scaling him with chairs for ladders to dive into his pockets, to spoil him of brown paper parcels, hold on tight by his cravat, hug him round the neck, pommel his back, and kick his legs in irrepressible affection. Not till Christmas, you. You must wait till Christmas to open your presents. The shouts of wonder and delight with which the development of every package was received. The terrible announcement that the baby had been taken in the act of putting a doll's frying pan into his mouth and was more than suspected of having swallowed a fictitious turkey glued on a wooden platter. The immense relief of finding this a false alarm. The joy and gratitude and ecstasy, they are all indescribable alike. It is enough that by degrees the children and their emotions got out of the parlor, and by one stair at a time, up to the top of the house, where they went to bed and so subsided. And now Scrooge looked on more attentively than ever, when the master of the house, having his daughter leaning fondly on him, sat down with her and her mother at his own fireside. And when he thought that such another creature, quite as graceful and as full as promise, might have called him father, and been a springtime in the haggard winter of his life, his sight grew very dim indeed. Belle, I saw an old friend of yours this afternoon. Who was it? Guess. How can I? <laughs> Don't I know? Mr. Scrooge. Mr. Scrooge it was. I passed his office window, and as it was not shut up and he had a candle inside, I could scarcely help seeing him. His partner lies upon the point of death, I hear. And there he sat, alone. Quite alone in the world, I do believe. Spirit, remove me from this place. I told you that these were shadows of things that have been, that they are what they are. Do not blame me. Remove me. I cannot bear it. Leave me. Take me back. Haunt me no longer. 
He turned upon the ghost, and seeing that it looked upon him with a face, in which some strange way there were fragments of all the faces that had shown him, wrestled with it. In the struggle, if that can be called a struggle in which the ghost, with no visible resistance on its own part, was undisturbed by any effort of its adversary. <coughs> Scrooge observed that its light was burning high and bright, and dimly connecting that with its influence over him, he seized the extinguisher cap, and by a sudden action pressed it down upon its head. The spirit dropped beneath it, so that the extinguisher covered its whole form. But though Scrooge pressed it down with all his force, he could not hide the light, which streamed from under it in an unbroken flood upon the ground. He was conscious of being exhausted and overcome by an irresistible drowsiness, and further, of being in his own bedroom. He gave the cap a parting squeeze, in which his hand relaxed, and had barely time to reel to bed, before he sank into a heavy sleep. Subscribe at adventwithscrooge.com for the next episode of A Christmas Carol and download a free companion guide with activities, questions, and coloring pages. Subscribe for free at adventwithscrooge.com. adventwithscrooge.com.